everyone wanted to have a more authentic introduction and tell you what I have to deal with in um, setting up a podcast and recording out of a single bedroom apartment can be very challenging when you have a dog that doesn't want to listen to you and doesn't understand that you're trying to record an episode. So you could probably hear that our dog Linus is running around our apartment like a crazy maniac. And I don't know what he's doing, but he's probably um, confused and thinks that our couch is uh, some sort of animal that he's trying to herd. He is a herding dog after all. He's a half border collie, half uh, corgi mix. So he's basically a short version of... Sorry, he's getting very vocal here. He's a very short version of a border collie. And so he thinks he's a large dog. If you don't believe me, it looks like he's running figure eights around our... uh, living room floor all that to say i want to uh, send a quick shout out to everybody who's been listening to our show and our episodes really appreciate your support um linus does not support me in anything i do he's just he's, he's really a squatter um i don't know why he's in our apartment um he doesn't pay rent doesn't pay taxes um i don't know all he does is just eat and sleep and um asks us to uh, take him outside to use the bathroom so are, are you done yet i guess i think he's done nope maybe not well anyways i'll uh i'll let our sound editor decide if he wants to keep this in or not all right i think he's done so anyways um in this week's episode we are going to have matt hahn with us and matt hahn is an active designer and percussion educator in the dayton ohio area matt is currently the front ensemble and sound designer for the madison scouts drum and bugle corps and in 2012 matt founded resonant music design resonant music design is a company specializing in marching arts design and education of all kinds you can view samples of his work at www.resonantmusicdesign.com Matt was a member of the Rhythm X uh, Percussion Ensemble from 2005 to 2008 and was a staff member from 2009 to 2015. Matt was also a member of the Blue Coats Drum and Bugle Corps from 2006 to 7 in the Front Ensemble, and he was also a staff member there from 2009 to 12. Matt graduated from Miami University in Ohio in 2008 with a Bachelor's of Arts in Music Education. In 2013, Matt was elected to the Board of Directors of the Mideast Performance Association and was recently elected as Vice President of Percussion for the circuit. Matt is a proud sponsor of Innovative Percussion, Sabian Cymbals, and Evans Planet Waves products. He currently lives in Springboro, Ohio with his wife, Sarah, and his son, Micah. Please welcome this week, Matt Hahn. Yeah, thanks for having me again. This is awesome. I'm, you know, I'm really excited. So um, I'm Matt Han. I am a music designer and arranger um, full time. I own my own company, uh, Resonant Music Design. We do, you know, indoor drumline, marching bands, drum corps, music design of all kinds throughout those seasons. Um, I am currently in Springboro, Ohio. That's where my home is. And it's kind of around where I grew up a little bit. So I'm kind of in that same area. Um, I live here with my wife, Sarah, and um, and my four-year-old, almost five-year-old son, Micah, and our dog, Remy. So he's just turned one. So he's still a, a, a puppy and is very wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can feel that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We've got... 
we've got a dog that's actually turning three, I think in a week or so, and it still feels like he's a one-year-old. He's yeah. Right now he's occupied as we're doing the show, but I don't think that's going to be for very long, <laughs> unfortunately. But that's just what we got to deal with with COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm hoping he I'm hoping he calms down soon. So you said there's three, and they're still not still pretty wild. Yeah, I've got a rare mix. He's a border collie and corgi. Oh, okay, so cool. He's just got a ton of energy, and uh, he's very smart, and uh, he's very vocal about um, a- a- anything and everything. He's very opinionated. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyways, um, yeah. So, talk to me a little bit about uh, how you got to the position that you're in now. And I know that for people that are listening, they may be younger and maybe they're involved in the arts and they're thinking post marching for either WGI or for DCI, or maybe they're going to be graduating high school and they may be listening and thinking to themselves, this is what they want to do. They want to uh, be in the position that you are in where you have your own job that is made up by you. Yeah, absolutely. So walk us through that for people listening. Yeah. So I started, you know, I went to, it was, well, it was really like through high school. I started, you know, getting really into marching band and indoor drumline. I went to Centerville high school. Um, so I, you know, it was a pretty like popular program, pretty competitive throughout. And so like, you know, we, we was year round indoor marching band, really excited about all that it was my favorite part of the day. And in concert band and stuff like that. So then, you know, I kind of knew I wanted to be in that when I, you know, went to college and did my career. And I, I went to college to be a band director. I was really excited to be a band director and was all about that. Um, you know, and, and everything I was in rhythm X and blue coats kind of throughout my college time. And so like, I was, you know, I was doing the whole college thing, but still like really immersed in marching arts teaching as much as I could. Um, you know, I, I marched two years of blue coats. And so I, I taught the other years. So I was really getting a lot of good teaching experience there, uh, like crafting my style and everything. Um, and then, you know, I graduated with the intent of going out and getting a job. And then the, you know, the recession kind of happened and there were barely any availabilities and, you know, especially in my area looking all over the country, but it was still just really hard to find my, you know, get my roots and everything. Um, I ended up getting a job as a long-term sub for an entire year um, at a program, you know, a pretty rural program um, in the area. Um, and it was it was, you know, I thought that was my in, like, okay, great, here we go. Um, and then, like, after the year was done, they ended up, because of budget things, they ended up, like, shifting my position to something else. And so I ended up getting, you know, losing my job there again. So from there, I kind of started thinking about ways, you know, I, I tried to pick up other gigs, like teaching and, and that kind of thing. Um, I, I really started trying to write more there. Um, I got in, started a program Lebanon high school. Um, with my really good friend, Jared Thomas. He brought me on. It was his like first year there. And that was when I really started doing a lot of writing. I, you know, that w- I, I used that as an opportunity to really try to, you know, craft a style for myself, not really with the intention of making it a job because I was still looking for band director jobs, but, you know, with the intention of like still trying to stay active and trying, you know, trying something new. Um, So that, you know, it it was our first year doing that and and we ended up uh, winning Scholastic A, which was incredible and and really exciting. And it, it was a springboard for me to like, get more groups, you know, I reached out to a lot of places and, you know, just kind of started building a client base from there. And 
there eventually I just stopped looking for band director jobs because I was, you know, I shifted my career to being this and, you know, I, I, I loved it. I, I fell in love with the, the profession and, and everything involved. And so here I am just trying to, trying to keep it up. So do you remember a specific breaking point for you uh, when you were going along this search and, and you were finding like, Hey, you know what? I want to do this. I wanted to do this band directing thing, but this has been taking off and maybe this is a sign that I should pursue this and continue going. Do you know, like, what was that breaking point for you? Yeah, it was, you know, it was really in the, like, so like my first year kind of like doing the writing thing was 2012, I think. And it was really like 2014, 2015, a couple of years in, I built a pretty solid base and I was just really busy with it. And I started, you know, I, in that kind of like same time that I was doing that first bit of, of writing, I was doing some substitute teaching because my wife is a kindergarten teacher. And so she would, you know, she got me in a couple of schools in her district and like, it was really easy to like, you know, pick up those kind of gigs that were simple and kept me doing something every day and kept me not, you know, just like sitting on the couch or whatever. Like, so that was nice. But then I stopped feeling like I needed to get those and stopped having time to pick those up because I was just so busy. So, um, that was really, you know, for me, like when I started feeling like I could make a full career out of this and stop looking for a band director job, because I really liked doing what I was doing, but like, I was always worried about the, you know, financial viability, this, you know, the, just being able to make that into a full-time career. And, you know, having, having Sarah there really helped because she had a very steady paycheck and health insurance and things like that that could really become, could really stabilize me in that time. And so, you know, I think that that, but like, you know, once I kind of felt like I could hold my own, you know, I really kind of made the change, made the switch and, you know, she and I talked about it and everything, but like just made that decision that that was going to be it. And like, we're just doing this full time. So that's awesome. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's really cool that it worked out that way. Um, so how would you describe your um, process and how it's changed over time? So, you know, you've uh, started designing, you started writing a lot more. Have you noticed anything that changed and what process you, you have when you're designing stuff? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I, for me specifically, I've noticed a lot more. I, I trust myself a lot more the first time through, you know, like I think at the beginning I did, I mean, I made a lot of revisions, a lot of revisions. And and that was part of why it was really good to be. And, you know, like for, for me, you know, I, I was like, I ended up becoming kind of a director, pseudo director with Jared at Lebanon. Um, and so like, I was able to be in real control of how the students played, um, which helped me, you know, analyze my writing every day. Like I was there every day with them, teaching them the beats that I created, which was really cool. But like, it was a perfect opportunity to get in there and and grow fast, I think. So um, and for me, like, I feel like I made, I made a lot of revisions right away. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes right away because I think that's just part of it. But um if you like, you know, and everyone's always learning with this kind of thing that, you know, I'm always, I'm always learning because, 
you know, this mu music is always so different depending on each project and, and how it's put together and everything. But, you know, I, I feel like for me, I trust my instincts a lot more now. I trust my process a lot more now. Um, I've, I found that it works pretty well for me and that it's successful, you know, generally. So I think that's for me, what has, has improved. Um, and I've, you know, I've gotten much faster at the programs that I use too. That's, you know, a big one is just getting comfortable with what you do, finding your shortcuts, but just becoming more proficient with like what you do. So that's really helped for sure. So, I mean, I, I can, I can write a lot faster now and I'm not held up by the technology, you know, like even if I had some ideas before, like, I you know, it was maybe harder to put them into what it, the program was, but like now I feel like I've kind of, I've got a good balance of that. So. So what were some of the pitfalls that you found yourself in early on? So like if you, in hindsight, like what are some things that you would have done a little differently? I don't know. You know, I, I, I think, I think for me, a, a lot of where I'm at now is obviously because of some of the decisions that I made and, and some of the failures that I've had. So I've grown from them by learning from them like that. So, um, you know, I, I actually kind of learned a lot from being a band director there, <laughs> you know, like being, being in that role, you know, I was working with someone that I didn't really agree with. Um, I was the assistant and I, you know, reflecting on it, I didn't do the greatest job of trying to work within the program. I tried to do too much to like change the program a little bit more than it was ready. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of learned a lot about that with reflection and, you know, like I was stubborn and I thought I was right and she was wrong. And, you know, just like, you know, when you're young and you just a little too gung ho, but uh, that really has helped me honestly working with other clients. You know, we, I have usually around 18 to 20 clients each season. So it's, it's pretty full. And there's a lot of people, a lot of personalities that, you know, every group is different. So that helped me kind of like, I think assess how I worked with other people more and how I think that that's helped my relationships with my clients grow over time. Um, you know, not everyone is perfect. You know, even now there's always, there's always clients here and there and there's always interactions here and there that, you know, I, you know, I go like, Oh man, I could have done better or that could have gone better. But, you know, I feel like that helped me in the beginning to grow as grow the, my business as fast as I did just because I reflected a lot about that, you know, why that kind of went the way it did. Hey everyone, this is Miguel, editor of the Different Strokes podcast. I just kind of want to stop by and if you're listening right now, first of all, just thank you so much for doing that. Um, it does mean a lot. And basically, I'm just here to say if you're not following us on our socials, we have um, the Different Strokes podcast on Facebook. We also have Different Strokes Podcast on Instagram. It's really going to help us out. We do do this, um, you know, for free, and it's always going to be like that. So the so the best thing that anyone can do right now is just, you know, give us a like and uh, follow on our SoundCloud and iTunes. That's going to help us out so much. So, um, yeah, let's go ahead and continue on with the podcast. Hope you're enjoying, and thank you so much. So um, let's kind of switch gears and talk about the day-to-day -day stuff. So we've kind of covered big picture stuff. And I'm curious, um, 
when it comes to working full time at home and you own your own business, uh, what is your typical first 30 to 60 minutes of a day look like uh, that may be very different from someone that is working a nine to five or someone that is working in a teaching uh, field? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I, I, I have a son, so it, I have the luxury of being able to, you know, stay home with him or, you know, like he, he's going to preschool now. So I'm, I'm able to kind of like get him to where he needs to go in the morning. Um, so when I actually start working, cause like, you know, he goes to preschool, I, I drive him to preschool and then back. Um, I usually take the dog on a walk. <laughs> so then I take him on a walk and I, I usually listen to uh, podcasts of some sort, either sports podcast or uh, you know, like, NPR up first, something like that, the daily, something like that to just kind of like what's happening in, you know, in the world or, or like, you know, it's like fantasy football or something like that. Like I try to like do a little bit of that. Um, And then I, you know, I I try to, I try to start with some emails, try to like answer some emails if I've got a bunch. Um, But then I, I really try to like get, get to it because I have the way that my day is kind of set up. I've got like these pockets, these like windows of, of work time and I, I need to be productive in them or I don't have the, that other time. So I have like a three hour thing in the morning and then like I pick my son up and then usually we have some grandparents come over and watch him. And then I've got like maybe another three hours there. And then if I don't finish that, then I'm, you know, working late at night, but so I'm, tr- I'm trying to like try to get to it and it's, you know, it's harder than some days than others, you know, it's harder if I feel like, you know, or like if I have, you know, errands that I have to do or something like that, or, or sometimes dinner to make, <laughs> you know, like I'll just throw something in the crock pot or whatever. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I really try to get right after it, um, after that, like, take, take the dog on a walk. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of my, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Um, so that's your routine. So do you, I would assume that you maybe find yourself being more of a morning person in that regard. Um, from the productive standpoint, what about from the creative side? Do you, do you see yourself as being a morning person from the creative side or is it more of a a night owl? You know, it, it kind of, it's funny. It depends on the season. Like when it's winter season, I'm, I'm working until one 2 AM sometimes probably three or four times a week, just, Cause you know, there ends up the, the winter timeline is, it feels like everyone's, you know, and obviously this is a nor- like in a normal season, like this season upcoming isn't super normal, but like in a normal season, that winter timeline, I feel like is so short, like everyone starts like winter stuff, like in November at some point. And, you know, the first shows in January. So everyone's timeline is like the same. So then I'm ending up stacking all these groups on top of each other trying to get deadlines in it ends up being challenging to do that in a, like a, a more relaxed way. Um, but you know, like I, I, I sometimes thrive on some of that. Like I found myself to be somewhat of a procrastinator too. So like, I will, I will push myself, you know, like I'll, I, I will be able to push and push up to a deadline. Um, and I can work pretty fast up to a deadline when I have that motivation. So, um, but yeah, you know, like it, I'm, I'm a forced morning person because my son will wake up at, you know, yep. This morning it was like six 30. <laughs> so, and, and I, and so like I'm forced morning, but you know, naturally probably night owl. 
that's yeah that sounds about right yeah <laughs> especially for the the winter season for sure yeah for sure the fall is a little easier just like it feels like it's spread out more like you know band camp is, is different for everybody you know that first show sometimes is different like but it feels like the planning some some groups are like planning in december some groups don't start until april so it's like there's like a wide range it feels like those timelines are a little bit like spaced out a little bit more you know, there's always like a, a crunch in there getting to band camp, but like, you know, like the winter timeline is like everyone's got the same time frame, except for like a couple of groups, but like most everyone is like right in that window. So let's talk about procrastination a little bit. When yeah. you say you procrastinate, um, do you find yourself coming up with your creative ideas during that procrastin- procrastination time? Uh, and if so, like, what do you? F- what do you find is like a common theme when that does happen? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely, I definitely feel myself able to like, like when the deadline hits, like, you know, I, I know when I have to start that for when, like I need to get to it. Um, in terms of like my creative process, I, I feel like I just need to get into it, you know, and then, and then it starts to flow. Like I have a hard time sometimes really like getting started. But once I get started, I feel like I'm like in the groove and then I'm going. So sometimes the procrastination makes that worse, depending on like how bad it gets, you know what I mean? Like just with all of that. But like, I think, I think for for my creativity, like once I I start to just start, like once I get it, it, it goes. And, you know, like every project is different. Some projects, even projects that I love that end up amazing, like some of my favorite projects I, I struggle with at the beginning. Um, but some are just like, boom, right away. Like they're good to go. Like I just, you know, the music speaks to me and I just go. Um, most of the time I'm writing things that are arranged uh, or inspired by, you know, like we've got, you know, every group I'll have a playlist of, you know, we've got a couple of tunes that we know we're going to use for sure. Like, and then there's like eight or 10 that are just, Ooh, this is a cool mood. Ooh, this is cool. You know, just to kind of like, as like a, like a kind of mood soundtrack kind of for like what we feel. So, um, and those really help me a lot to just kind of get ideas and just go. So, um, what are some, uh, composers that you've been listening to that you find yourself influenced by a lot when you're arranging now? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I, I listen to a lot of music, but like, I don't listen to a lot of specific people. I don't think, you know, like I kind of, I have like a, like, um, I'm having like Spotify going and it's like a, a playlist or a thing that's like, you know, curated for me, like kind of like random stuff in there. Um, one of the, one of the ones that I'm like, I, I like love is Oliver Arnold's right now. Like I'm really big into his stuff. Um, just really cool. Um, just all kind of like cool minimalist ish, but like it's got really amazing melody and just some really cool, like um, syncopation kind of things that happen throughout what he does. Um, He's got some, he's also got some really awesome sound libraries uh, through Spitfire audio, which is like a cool, like for me, that's like, you know, trying to recreate some of that, like while we do, especially with indoor stuff. Um, That's always a cool challenge. And he's got awesome sample libraries that he does through that, that company Spitfire audio. So, but yeah, that's, you know, for me, I, I, I get influenced by some things, but you know, like I'm kind of listening to a lot of stuff, uh, but also 
not listening to a lot of stuff weirdly enough like you know i don't really listen to a lot of music on my own as a way to decompress um i like podcasts i like you know like like sports stuff I'm, i'm big into that where it just it's a nice release for me where i can just get sucked into something like that and it's like totally separate from what we do so but yeah do you find with your um hobbies or you know in this case your distractions that you have in this with sports do you draw any parallels with them and bring them to your creative side and to your arrangement side of things as well i definitely draw parallels with them like i obsess about stats so like for band stuff it's really easy i can obsess about you know recaps and scores and you know judges sheets and all that kind of stuff and so like i obsess about sports stats a lot you know and so like that's one of those things like for me that stuff just clicks in my brain um you know i i i don't have i don't know that i i draw any parallels necessarily in like my creative side of things just uh, i i think i i like i i lean into the sports stuff i think for all of the stats and all of the like you know especially like fantasy football like there's all these probabilities and like you know things that you're like checking stats from other teams and all this stuff that like really interests me um and i feel like it's like the exact same thing as like when i'm in the middle of wgi season where i'm like every you know monday morning or sunday i'm like always checking recaps like oh what's this group doing here and like looking at what the judge like this judge gave this number and like oh we we saw them you know at this regional that bob you know doing all that kind of stuff so that's really like i think why i like sports because i feel like it feeds that part of my brain whatever that is that like i really get interested in with uh you know, with the stats and stuff for band. And, and, you know, like, it's obviously competitive, but it's also just, I like seeing those trends and, like, just kind of keeping tabs on all that stuff. Yeah. Does it help you um, kind of decipher the difference between what you find as objective and subjective in what we do with the creativity versus the stats? Yeah, it, it does. You know, like, it, it's, it's definitely helpful, too, because, like, you know, I think it's hard to just, it's hard to expand yourself past your own like frame of mind, you know? So there are definitely times that like, you know, I won't feel myself as, or like in retrospect, I won't feel myself as objective. Like I'll, I'll watch, I'll be so invested in a project or whatever. And I'll be like, oh man, like I'm really shocked that that didn't do better. But then, you know, going back and looking at other groups or looking back at it later, you know, with a fresh perspective, like, I can definitely like, you know, react differently to that. But um, but yeah, like watching other groups from different places is really helpful for that just because it like, it helps you really keep a good barometer of like where your group is or like where your writing is or like, you get to see, you know, what awesome people do all over the country. You know, there's plenty of amazing people that do what I do all over the country that have a s- super unique style that like stuff that I would never write, but like I love you know, it's just like not my style, but like watching them do that or hearing what they do. It's like, oh my God, that was incredible. Like I just, that just would have never come to me, but like that was incredible. So. So speaking of people that are really good at what they do besides you, I'm curious with resonant music design. I remember when it was, uh, I want to say like two to three years into it and you were hiring out and working together with other team members. Talk to me a little bit about um how you created this 
um, monster of RMD yeah. and like how you started adding all these people and like, what was that process like? Were you seeing other trends with other people doing this? What was your take on that? Cause we know resident music design, usually it's attached to your name, but was it always that way? Were there partners? How did that form? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always really been from me. Um, but like, I, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of incredible people. Like, you know, I, I know that there are some, some people that do what I do, like have like one person and like, or like one visual person and one, you know, let's say like I, me personally, I'm mostly front ensemble and sound design, but like, you know, maybe they like have one battery person and that's the only person that they work with, um, you know, and, and there are people that do that and are incredible with it. You know, like, like obviously John and Ian at box six do amazing stuff. Like they're incredible. Um, and you know, like for me, I started out doing a lot of different projects and I, I just, I was working with all, all, all sorts of different people and, and I liked having some different, kind of like people to work with. And that was just for me personally, it was something that I enjoyed. So I wanted to, you know, and I, you know, I wanted to help, you know, like if, if a group was contacting me, I wanted to try to, you know, help some of my people out that I worked with that were trying to do the same kind of thing, get into the industry a little bit. And so I kind of branched out and had multiple people kind of on our like roster as you would, you know, like, so for me, like, I think that was really important to, for it to be, you know, like for it to be like a, a specific kind of feeling about shows, but like, I don't think that necessarily means that it has to be from the same music team exclusively, just for me personally, you know, like everyone does it a little differently. And, you know, I think that there's always going to be like an essence of one person in your, you know, in your team, but you know, for me, I, I liked having multiple people kind of in and out, just doing different projects. So with resident music design, assuming we were in normal circumstances, um, what is your projection and what is um, the next like few steps that you're wanting to take with resident music design? Like, obviously, you've got year after year, you've got that 18 to 20 clients, but um, do you see this going to something that's the next level for you, like the next goal for you? Yeah, my next goal for sure is to try to bring more people on to do more of the custom shows. Um, not that I not that I don't love doing them, you know, but they just think there's a certain cap, you know, like one person can do. And and I've I've reached that a couple of times. And, you know, it's it's hard when you're growing your business because, you know, it was like one of the years I was I was with you at George Mason, like it I think I, you know, I just kept saying yes to people because I didn't know what my threshold was. And we, it was like, it was the winter right before we were about to have our son. And I was like, well, you know, like I gotta make some more money, like something, you know, like, and, and I knew that I could do a good job, but like, you know, I was like, well, I need to see what my threshold is. I need to see if I can do this, you know? And so for me, that, that really like, gave me a good number. Like, okay, this is the amount you can do. Like, maybe you don't need to do that much. Maybe you could do a couple less. Maybe you could do that and, you know, not have to be up every night until two. <laughs> so like, but you know, you don't want to turn people away. So, 
you know, I, I came up with a thing last year that was an understudy. So I had an understudy working for me and he did two shows where I was essentially the program coordinator and I helped him and guided him throughout to try to like create a product that was reflective of, of resident music design. And so that was great. And we're going to continue to do that. Um, but probably still like, you know, bringing on some more people to help with the load, I think, you know, hopefully, you know, like once things get back to normal, we, we can continue that growth. So that's, that'll be the real, like the real test to see like, you know, how that all shakes out. But that's kind of, I think that's kind of where the next, the next step is that like growth of that, of the, just trying to make sure that it's not just a one man show, <laughs> like that it's, you know, got a couple more people in there just helping out. So. This episode is brought to you by Bins. Founded by Joy Duarte and Rema Baeza, Bins aims to spread positivity and good vibes to the marching arts community. With their unique apparel, accessories, clothing, and branding, Bins is the source for all things marching bass drum in the marching arts community. Follow on Instagram at underscore underscore Bins underscore underscore for more information. Um, so what's one of the positive things that you think has come out of what we've been going through in 2020? Like what's, what are still some things that are exciting that are going on in your life? Uh, well, for me, you know, I, it's been an unexpected long amount of family time, which is great. You know, and I, this is for, I, I was really bummed because this is going to be my, my first summer being like pretty full out in the design thing for drum corps. You know, like I, I just got hired on for Madison scouts, which is, incredible and you know like we're we're on for the next season whenever that comes up and the team has been great but um but it was definitely going to be daunting like a, a very full winter season into a very full drum course season um was going to be hard but you know it was good to be able to have some family time for me um we did a lot of house projects which was fun you know like like just trying to do some stuff around the house and like you know some, some stuff that I, you know, maybe didn't know how to do before. I was learning some, some things that are still not great at it, you know, like trying to learn a little bit of woodworking stuff. You know, I'm still terrible at it. Don't get a lot of time to do it as much as I want to, but like just trying some stuff, trying, you know, that kind of thing. And just some renovation stuff has been, it's really helped me kind of like fuel that like creative, like kind of like it scratch that creative itch, I guess is what it is, you know, because like, it, you know, like you do all this work, you know, you got, you're working on shows all winter. And for me, I think my favorite, my absolute favorite part of the year is that WGI finals week. It's like just incredible. Everyone, like, first of all, I live in Dayton. So everyone comes to me, which is awesome. So cool. And I get to, you know, see all my groups that it's just incredible for me. It's just so much nostalgia for me when I was, you know, a member, but like so much cool just being able to like experience all of that with them uh so you know that not happening was really hard i think just emotionally i didn't really like recognize that until you know a little bit in so i really threw myself into a lot of projects around the house to try to like i think feed that so but it, i mean it was it was good you know got some stuff done which is always good when you're a homeowner so for sure, yeah. Is there anything besides the woodworking that you found yourself doing that you're like, hey, you know, I 
I like this. I'm not that great at it, but I do like it. It's certainly scratching or scratching that itch that you have. You know, I actually like I actually started reading more, which was great. You know, I I hadn't ever really committed to find time. Like, you know, like you read here and there, but like like actually reading, you know, picking some books, reading them, picking a couple of nonfiction books to read, a couple of like I, I really was, you know, getting into like mystery thriller books some stuff like that but like you know i was never really like a big reader when i was in college and definitely not like i i get i never made it part of my routine and then i always knew that i like i always knew that it was like really valuable but like i just i never could like get in the groove of like when to do it making the time for it and all of that so you know but that that like first part of the of the quarantine really gave us like a lot of time to spend reading and like, and that was awesome. Like I felt great being able to do that. And like, just kind of like deep, especially just with everything going on in the world, like disconnect from that and like kind of get immersed in a story or something else. So. Have you done any audiobooks by chance or just the reading so far? I haven't. I should, I should try that. Like trying to do the audiobook thing. Cause I do a lot of podcast listening, um, especially like when things are going and I'm in the car a lot. So that's definitely something that I should I should do more of, but um, I yeah. I haven't. Yeah, yeah. There's some really really good suggestions um, for for books, but um, and even some some children's books as well that that I have on my list. But they're fantastic because I mean, there's so much stuff you can pick apart from children's books that apply oh, yeah. in your life as an adult. And, Which is uh, funny because we we read to we read to my son Micah every single night, um, and he's big into reading. So we read a lot, and I've actually gotten a few. I've gotten three or four show ideas from from books that we read to him because they're they're awesome, you know. And we we my wife's a kindergarten teacher, so she's got a lot of great books that she recommends, and we buy for him, and he loves it. And so that's been awesome, and and you know, learning a lot from those, like you said, you know, like that's been actually, they're, they're really rewarding too. Oh, for sure. When you hear the word successful, um, in three parts, who's the first person that comes to mind and, um, how do you measure success and how do you define success? Oh man, successful. You know, for, for me in this activity, I think, you know, one, one of my, one of my role models, um, not necessarily like through direct interaction, but just through, through the activity has been um, Jim Wunderlich. Uh, he's been somebody that it, w- whether I knew that I was going to do this or not, he affected me. He and uh, in his program affected me. So like when I was a freshman um, in, in high school, that was my first like marching percussion experience for indoor. And my favorite group was mission BAO. We saw them in at finals Um and we, we were in finals, but mission won that year. And so that was like, for me, the benchmark of like what WGI could be in Scholastic World. And so we like pushed ourselves and pushed ourselves for two or three years to try to get to be that level. Um, and then my senior year, like my junior year, we beat them, which was like the biggest deal in the world to me. Like it was unbelievable. And then my senior year, we won. And that like felt like it was like this incredible crowning achievement. Um, but like knowing Jim and knowing what that like the, the the kind of success that he's had and the humility that he has throughout the process has been incredible. So like so he he inspired me a lot there. Like even before you know we even knew each other, um, you know, and, and and he and I have gotten a chance to to 
chat a lot just through what we do and, and he couldn't be nicer. Uh, one, one of my favorite people in the activity. Um, and, you know, just watching him and what he does with his groups even now is just still so impressive. Um, you know, in terms of what that means to me, you know, I, I think I think I always am trying to approach groups still from an education perspective. So from a success perspective, you know, I, I think as long as the program is growing and, and there's that, you know, there's always that like, cohesion between the program and the show and that's one of the most rewarding things for me to try to get to and to watch try to grow and and for me i think that's what really defines success in this activity because you know and and you know for for forever like try to tell my students all the time like the the number and the score and like the 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 feedback that you get is just someone's opinion of what you do. Like, it's obviously, you know, like, they've obviously trained really, really well and they've got, you know, tons of practice, but ultimately it shouldn't define how you feel about what you do, how you've worked, what you're doing. So I think I think that trying to get to that point where they totally understand the goal and the show embodies that, but also like lifts them up is like, one of my favorite things to try to get to. And that's, I think when I start to measure success is when I feel like those things have really hit that point. Yeah, I think you've all covered all three uh, questions with that. Um, that's fantastic. And, you know, I guess that kind of segues really well into the next question. And that is uh, knowing what you know now, what are some really bad pieces of advice that you hear <laughs> that's often given to people? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess when it comes to the like, when it comes to the competitive side of things, I think people get really hung up on the numbers and then trying to, you know, and the, in the the judge commentary and then trying to fix them, and then like losing the identity of what they do and what their shows about and what their kids need, you know, like the and students, I guess, and then like. Those the students that you have in your group are are so much more intuitive than I think that we know and, and give them credit for. Um, they know, you know, all that kind of stuff. They can feel that, like when there's a shift, a sudden shift in like what the priorities are because you know one judge said this or one judge said that. Like, I think they can feel that, and so I think that's where you start to you start to feel like you're in it for the wrong reasons when you're starting to make too many things, you know, like I think making adjustments is really good because, you know, it helps you, you know, reflect on what's happening. But, you know, I think that there are people that take it too far, especially with the way that they talk about things, you know, and, co and competitors, you know, like I never want to, I know it's, it's cliche, but like, you know, in this activity, you can't play defense. You know what I mean? Like you can't play defense on another group. Like another group is going to do their thing and they're going to, be great or they're not or whatever, but like you can't really control that. So there's no reason to get hung up on what their score is and all that kind of stuff. Like it's hard because we're all competitive and you know, that's fueling a lot of this, but I think, I think when you focus too much on that, the, the, you know, the students get the wrong impression of why, why they're supposed to be here and what they're supposed to be doing. And a lot of times they try too hard, you know, they try to play clean and that doesn't work. And they, you know, like instead of just relying on their training and just 
doing what they've always done, you know, like just keep at it, you know? So I, I think that's, that's probably like the, what I've seen as like the most like incorrect or like negative kind of reaction in in the activity. So what would you say is something that you are trying to do now every day? That's like a habit or a routine that um, is really been the best use of your time. Like whether it's energy, money spent on it, time, what would it be for you right now? Hmm. That's a tough one. You know, like I, I, I think for me, <laughs> really for me, just, you know, it goes back to like, I have these limited amounts of time. Like I'm, I'm really forcing myself to try to put my phone down. Like, I feel like that's, that's like, just, especially like I, I'm getting really like succumbed. I'm succumbing to like a lot of the political things and social things that are happening. And like, I'm really trying to just sometimes, you know, take myself away from that because I know that I have to work. I know that I need like these couple of hours to like really be productive. So that's been a real goal of mine for sure over the last like couple of months for sure, especially like getting more now starting the next kind of season stuff. So, but um, I think for me, that's, that's, I, it, it doesn't cost anything. It's just like, so it, for me, like it just, I don't know. There's something about it that's just like, it's addictive, you know, like, but like, I'm just, I'm really trying to like, I have to like put it in like a place where I can't reach it from my desk. Like it has to be like away from me where I can't like reach out and get it, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And everybody deals with it differently. I, I mean, I know that the thing that I find the most counterintuitive is with the technology we have, especially with like the smartphones, they are trying to create ways with the phones that tell you like how much screen time you have or the stats on like how much you're spending. And it's like, it seems ridiculous to me because you're still using the damn device to figure out yep. what you're doing yeah. wrong and you're addicted to it. So oh, yeah. you know, for me, it's, it's like, I, I have a really, I guess it would be considered old now. I think I have like an iPhone seven and, um, I refuse to upgrade it. I refuse to get more gigs. I have like the cloud set up and it's even then like I offload apps and I purposefully like leave apps off and I don't use them because yeah. it just takes so much attention away from the things that really matter to me. And I found myself like putting more books on onto the the iBooks app that they have and a lot of them are audiobooks. Um even like, you know, Facebook app or or Instagram like I try to use it through like a web browser app. Yeah. That way I have to like log in and it's like, you know, they make everything so easy for you now. <laughs> right. Like, right. You put your thumbprint on and you yeah, like access to everything. Like face ID and it's like, bloop, bloop, and it's like into the site already. Yeah. I know. So I like, I find myself creating these traps for myself so that I'm like, do I really want to spend time on Facebook? Because yeah, I've got to type in my email username and my password. And by the point, by the time I'm like, okay, I've got to put all this stuff. Is it really worth it? And dude, that was not, yeah, that was me. Like I was, it was like right at the end of the, you know, the season before everything shut down. I, it was like a couple of weeks before. And like, it's always the hardest part of the year for me and, and Sarah, my wife, because she's like working really hard and I'm working really hard. And so we're both stressed at the same time. And like I, I told my, like, I was, I have to take Facebook and Twitter off of my phone. I just have to do it. And so I deleted the apps off of my phone. I like, I like made that commitment and it was like really awesome for a couple of weeks. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, well, I mean, I guess I'll just put them back on there because we're going to, we're like, 
stuck together now. So like, we're not, we don't have, we don't have to like, like we had plenty of time to like be together where it wasn't, you know, you know, like in that normal time, it was like an hour, maybe or 30 minutes. Like after Micah was in bed, like when we were like watching a show or we could like actually talk to each other for a little bit. And we were both kind of in this habit of like, just getting on our phones and being on Facebook. And then I was like, all right, well, it's time to go to bed. Like instead of spending that time together. So, but like, we, you know, we kind of like ended up having so much extended time. It, I, I put it back on there and it was like, well, it's just still on there. So like, it's, it's giving me that point in the year where I'm like, I probably need to take them off again. You know, like I probably should do it now so that I'm not like freaking out every single moment before the election and all that stuff. So like, I think that's, that'll probably be good for my, my mental health. If I, if I just decide to take those off. Yeah, for sure. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know we've, we've scheduled a, a block of time for us to hang out for the evening. And um, so I just want to ask if there's any like last pieces of advice you have maybe for people that are wanting to do what you do and you know if they want to reach out to you or or what are some things that you would leave for our our listeners that aspire to do what you're doing right now yeah so i mean for me i think one of the things that was the best the the best kind of thing that i did when i was really starting to get interested in in what i was doing was um just just trying to trying to get a client or two or whatever you can manage and then like just putting your putting everything that you have into that you know and and for me like it really started a lot with i was doing some exercises writing some like front ensemble lot tunes or whatever um with a couple of groups that i was teaching and that was another really beneficial thing was just trying to get some experience writing the program so that when you do get a job doesn't even have to be you know, like this full workload. Cause ever, ever, I think everyone starts with one gig, you know, like nobody's starting in this activity and gets 10 gigs right away. So like you start with that one group and, you know, you try to make the most out of that, try to make it your voice as much as possible. And then, you know, try to expand if, if that's something that you're interested in. And the more that you do and the more that you learn about yourself, um, and, and the more, you know, you experience you have, especially with the programs that you're going to try to write with coming in, um, the better that is too. Um, definitely, I think one of the most important things is how you deal and how you, you know, interact with your clients. I think that's, you know, regardless of the product, like, like obviously you want your product to be the best it can be, but I think some of the things that, you know, band directors and directors want is on time, great for the kids. Like you, the details are there. Like if we told you this was the instrumentation, like don't give us different instrumentation. Make sure that your music looks nice when you print it out. You know, like like yeah. you spend all this time doing it. And then like, if you don't think about the way that a student's gonna actually read it, like then it doesn't really matter. So I think, you know, taking care of those logistical business type details, I think are so important. And a lot of really, I've seen a lot of like really talented designers get caught up in not doing those things and losing clients because they just can't meet a deadline or can't like take care of that little stuff. And and it, it seems small, but it makes such a big difference in a band director's job who all he or she wants to do is just, just check that off their list. Like they just want to do this and like 
okay, here's the music for the kids. Where's your invoice paid? Done. Like I've got a thousand other things. I've got 150 emails. I've got parents, you know, coming at me with all this stuff. Like they just want to be able to like know that it's taken care of. So it's really, really important. But yeah, I mean like just getting out there and doing it, I think was like for me the best possible thing that I could do. The, the more that I got in there, the more I learned and the more I grew. For sure. Awesome. If people wanted to find you online, you know, what do you feel comfortable sharing uh, with us? Facebook, Instagram, email, website? Yeah, my, my website is resonantmusicdesign.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Matthew Hahn. Uh, Resonant Music Design, we've got, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's it's Resonant Music Design or rmd something like that like there's a couple of different handles in there but it's all linked through the website too um my email address is matt at resonantmusicdesign.com so you know whatever you know like email or you know if you've got any questions or anything like that like i you might be happy to answer anything that anyone's got any kind of thoughts or whatever like if, if anyone's got more questions about how i started or you know how things are or what i do in this situation like you know i i I love talking about what I do. So I, I, it's not a burden at all. <laughs> That's great. Awesome, Matt. Hey, well, thanks for um, taking the time to spend with, uh, with me tonight and really excited to see how things go for you in the future. And we'll definitely be doing this again for sure. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm, I'm always, always love talking with you and talking about, talking about all this stuff. So yeah, man, for sure. Take it easy. Thanks, man. Thanks again for your support of Different Strokes, a percussion podcast. For advertising space, please contact us at info at dspodcast.org. That is info, I-N-F-O, at dspodcast.org. Our production and sound design is by Miguel Perez. Instrumental music was written and composed by Miguel Perez. Our introduction music was written and composed by me, Joseph McMorrin, and our post-production is made possible by Miguel Perez. Different Strokes may be found on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Thank you to our sponsors and their support, and please visit our website at www.dspodcast.org. Until next time, hit subscribe, and thanks for listening.